0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together. We thank you that this year you've taught us that we belong together, that we're family together, and we thank you that you're not done with us yet, that you're not done writing this story, that that there's more that you have. Pray that we would be faithful to what you've called us to, that we'd be filled with joy in fulfilling Plans that you have for us as, as individuals, but even more importantly, as a body, that your kingdom will come and your will would be done right here, just like it is in heaven. In your name, amen. All right. Thanks for braving the cold to come in this tropical room. Uh, it's good to have you today. It's good to be talking about where the church is, where we are as a community, where God's leading us as we go forward, and I get the the honor of of casting some vision as to what it is that we're called to next, and the last couple of months, I've been reflecting a lot, which if you know me, that's kind of not new. Uh, I, I like to reflect by nature. I do that, and and reflecting over the last year, and then really praying about what it is that that God has going forward. And it's it's winter, so like I just don't feel as well, right? Like I'm not the only one who doesn't feel great in the winter. So I just had more like downtime because I just took it because I didn't feel well. And as I didn't feel well, I just sat and like, Lord, what are you, what are you inviting us into? One of the gifts I always get when I'm sick is I, I slow down and I finally like listen to questions that I'm asking God. And, and so I'm sitting there like, what are you calling us to? As a church, like... We, we finally believe that we're to gather around one table, that everyone belongs there, but that's not the whole of this story. The good news is much bigger than that. What, what is it that you're calling us to? And this phrase kept coming to my mind and to my heart. And this phrase was that he was calling us as a church to harvest good fruit. I don't I don't farm. And that sounds like like a slogan that would have been used like 35 years ago somewhere. And like, I was like, really, Lord, like, give us something like flashy, cool. Like, I don't even really get, I don't, I don't know how to like talk about farming. I know how to like go to Kroger. That's about it. And the more that I prayed on it the more that I sat on it, I just kept feeling, no, Matt, one church is to harvest good fruit. And I was like, but can you give me something more clever? This is just me being real honest. I just kept like, I didn't even want to tell Jamel. And he was like, whoa, what's our what are we doing this year? And, and almost apologetically, I was like, here's the phrase that I keep having come to my heart, that I keep praying through over and over, is that we're to harvest good fruit. And part of this is uh, harvest sometimes, like when we're talking... In church, like, I don't, I don't ever want to use people. And and that feels like sometimes that's been used as a language to use people as they are a means to an end. And like, no, but we can't do that. We can't be people who use people. And And good, like this year, the word good has been redefined. Actually, our pastor Jamel has really, God's used him to redefine this word for me. Because I think I know what good is. And I hold everything else up next to my standard and kind of judge whether it's good or bad. And there's been a couple sermons this year where Jamel reminded us, we do this with God. And I've been guilty of doing this with God. I look at what he's doing in my life next to the standard of what I think good is. And I say, I don't know if I can trust you. Because what you're doing doesn't match what I think of as good. And yet he is the very definition of good. God is good, and everything is subjective to him. And so this idea of good, like, okay, then do something good in us. And if you're present, then it's good, and I can just kind of wiggle my way into comfort there. And so we're going to harvest but not use people. And it's going to be good but not how I define good, how God defines good. And it's fruit because, well, that's what is produced, right? And so this year we're going to harvest good fruit, but we really need to sit in this a little bit because otherwise like we get lost in agrarian metaphors and all this. And so I started praying, like, Lord, will you give us like, a passage that makes this make some sense? And we went to a passage that I was like, really? That's the one you have for us. We, we've, been, we've been having little arguments lately, apparently, me and Jesus. He wins. Don't know if you know that. He wins. Here's here's a passage for you. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Let's get a little context here so it makes a little more sense, right? Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're in Samaria. Anna's really engaged with this story. Samaria to the disciples it is, is like an oasis in Chicago. You know those oasises? You're on the freeway, and you pull up there and go to the restroom, get your gas, get your food, and then you just keep going on the, on the freeway. You don't have to engage anybody. You don't have to go into a town. You don't have to do anything. It's just a way to get what you need and keep going. That's what Samaria is to the disciples. They're there for a pit stop. We need some food. So let's stop for a second, get some food, and then go where we're going. This is not a place where they would imagine harvesting. This is not a place that they would ever call good. And this is not a place where they see fruit. They just see this is a means to, their, to meet their needs. What they needed was food and drink. It was about noon. Hey, let's get some lunch, and then let's keep going where we need to go. But Jesus saw otherwise. And so let's unpack this chapter a little bit. Jesus had just left Judea with the disciples. He was headed to Galilee. Instead of going around Samaria, that a lot of people did, he went straight through Samaria. And in verse 13, we get this. Jesus, uh, yeah, Jesus says to this woman, Everyone who, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. He stops and talks to this woman. Let, let me unpack what happens just before this. He stops and talks to this woman at high noon, okay? It's, at noon, it's hot. I don't know if you know that. Noon, it's hot. You don't get water when it's hot. You get water early in the morning. You get water later in the day, maybe, but you don't go at high noon. And if you're going at high noon, it's for a reason. But Jesus stops because he's tired. And, and the disciples are getting food. And he engages this woman who, Jesus is Jewish. She's Samaritan. She's a woman. Customs say you ignore her. And he engages her and believes that she has something to offer him. Hey, will you give me some water? She's completely thrown off. Why would you even ask me? I don't even understand what's going on. And he invites her into something. He, he gives her something. He shows her dignity. And John gives us some clues as to what's going on here. Like, like the fact that it's noon is a big deal. She's probably, it doesn't say, but she's probably the only woman at, at this well at this time. She's probably the only person at this well, at this time. As, as the story goes on, we see that Jesus knows her story, knows that she's had several husbands. The man she's with now is not her husband. She has all of this thing All of these things that probably lead her to go to the well when no one else is there so that she doesn't have to see anybody, she doesn't have to deal with anybody. She can hide, she can do her thing, meet her needs in a way that she's just away from everyone else. And Jesus knows her story, sees her story, sees her, recognizes her, and offers real hope. That she'll never thirst again. This is somebody whose life is just, she's aching emotionally, relationally, probably even physically, and he says, you'll never thirst again, and I thought of us. Now, I've noticed in, in people, in, in my years of, of breathing, I've noticed that we give ourselves a lot of credit we give like our like gremlin side a lot of credit. You know what I mean? Like to one another, we, we act like, oh, no, I'm great. But on the inside, we let like the sinful part of us, man, we give it credit. We act like it's big. It's powerful. I, if there's a force that we are afraid of in our lives, most often I think it is us. We're afraid of that gremlin inside of us. We act like it is ten thousand times more powerful than anything else. And we take care of it in secret. We run to hide from one another. We don't we don't uncage this this gremlin in us, we don't want people to know, we don't want people to see, and if it means at inconvenient times we need to go meet our needs, then we'll go do it at inconvenient times. But we just don't want people to know, we don't want them to see, we don't want them to say, we, d- we don't want to feed this thing. Because we're afraid, and it's big. And way too often we act like this side of us is the biggest thing in the world. Way too often I have tried to silence God because I act like I am bigger. Not me with Jesus within me, but me like the flesh side of me. And the beauty is, as we gather together getting near high noon on this Sunday, and we all come in, and we all are aware of our own sinful self. The flesh side of us, Jesus knows that too. And he offers us living water that will never thirst again. We come in tired. We come in spiritually dehydrated. And this God has not changed. This Jesus who meets this, this woman at the well and offers her life and offers her water that shall never thirst again. He, he has not changed. This Jesus who called Matthew out of the, the tax booth and Peter out of the boat and Saul, he, he put down on the ground and then to the beggar, he lifted to his feet. That is the very one who offers living water to you and to me. And honestly, we are spiritually dehydrated. I don't know if you've been around somebody who's extremely dehydrated before. Remember Uh, Nikki and I were in Ethiopia once and and she actually paid our friend in Ethiopia to drink water and said hey I will buy all your bottled water and I will pay you to drink water for like a month and then you tell me what happened because the belief was like water is bad because a lot of their water sources are bad and after this period of time he was like I didn't know my head hurt I didn't even know my entire life my head hurt I've seen people's eyes go from like a yellow to clear as they get water. People, if, if you're too dehydrated, you don't know how your body is to function. And spiritually, this is how oftentimes we operate, guys. We often operate spiritually dehydrated, and we have the one who says, let me give you the living water that you'll never thirst again. How does this actually work? I've thought that, like, we just take, like, one sip and then I'm good, right? Like, let me, like, be vaccinated from thirst. It just give me one sip and I'm, I'm good, but that's, that's not how it works. What do you do when you find something really good? And Jamel talked about this a little bit last week with the, the man who found the treasure in the field, right? He sold everything to buy the field. So then the treasure was his. When you find something really good, you, you orient your life so you're right next to that. So that that is where you are for life. That is who you are for life. When we find the source of living water, like, that's, that's where you go. That's, you, you set up your, your home right there. When, when you know what's good, you do everything. You go out of your way to get there. I know this because every time we travel... This is how my van orients. We have, we have two places that we go. We go to our destination, but along the way, every like hour, we make a pit stop for Diet Coke. <laughs> and I've learned over the years, like I like coffee, but I've learned over the years that Diet Coke is different. There's like Diet Coke and then there's like good Diet Coke. <laughs> and I'm learning. Where we used to live, there was this gas station called Quick Trip. And for a while, Quick Trip was the best place for, I think it was Diet Pepsi at the time. That was the best sodas. And then there's 7-Elevens around Chicago, and you get a big gulp there, which means a lot of bathroom breaks, but it's also apparently much better. And then there's the pinnacle of them all, there's McDonald's Diet Coke. (laughs) And I've learned over the years that if I want to show my wife that I love her, then I leave the freeway, go on a 25-minute detour, and bring five children through a drive-through at McDonald's and get them nothing. Nothing but get my wife a large Diet Coke. And that is a love language. Because it's different. And when you know what's good, you go out of your way to get to what's good. And Jesus says he is the place of living water. So what do we do? We snuggle up right next to him. We go right to where he is. Where Jesus goes, we go. Why? Because I don't want to ever thirst again. I know what it's like to be spiritually dehydrated. I don't ever want to be again. And so I go where he goes. And you get to a point where taking a sip of this living water on Sunday, it doesn't sustain. This living water is something that brings health to your eyes, to your whole body. You can see again. You can function again. You feel whole and alive, maybe for the first time. And then the, what else would I ever want? I think some of us have, have forgotten. Oftentimes I have forgotten that Jesus is the living water. And if that's it, as we start this year, let, let's, let's remember. Let's be a people who remember and, and connect to him here and then and then let's look at what happens next. So Jesus says these words to this woman. And then in verse 28, he says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now this woman spent her days avoiding the townspeople. Right? She's there at noon because no one else is there at noon. And then she meets Jesus. And she runs to the townspeople. That's crazy. Why? Because she's completely redefined. Everything's different. One conversation changed everything. She was once covered with shame. She now knows joy. Yes, that was my story, but that is not my story. My story is that I met living water, and there's enough living water for you as well. Let me run to you. And so she runs To the town, and she tells them, Can this be the Christ? Come meet him. And they come. No longer is this shame. Some of us are at this point, we know that he's living water, but we've forgotten that that is bigger than the gremlin inside. We can stop giving voice to our flesh, guys. Yes, what we did was big, but he is bigger. Who you were was big. But who you are is much bigger, much grander, and it trumps everything. And so let's run with that truth everywhere forward. And so we get to verse 35 where we began. And Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. What is he talking about here? He's talking to his disciples and they look off on the hill towards the town and the town is walking to meet the Christ and they are coming in their robes, which are all white. And he looks out and he says, see those people that you just passed by, those people, that is the harvest. It is white with harvest because they're in white robes and they're coming down to meet the Christ, that's the harvest that's coming. It's like if you drove out of here and just went south. Hopefully some of you guys do this and, and, and slow drive through campus today and see that the fields are red with harvest that way. Or if you drive through Old Louisville, you will see that the fields are puffy-coated and hauling a dog with harvest today. <laughs> That there are people everywhere desperate for the living water. They're desperate to know that something is bigger than the gremlin inside, that something matters more, that something is lasting, that something is enduring. And this is what we're invited into. You see, there's the very end of this story is the entire town of this entire town in Samaria is transformed. Everything's different. People come and they see that Jesus is exactly who he was, and they're not just believing this woman. They did believe this woman, but now they're believing because they saw for themselves that Jesus is who they were waiting for. And they thought they were excluded. They thought that they didn't matter, and they find out, yes, you do, When Jesus stayed with them for a few days as this truth snuck in and transformed who they were. This is what I truly believe we're invited to do, guys. This year, let's be people who find who we are and find the source of living water. And then we, we see that the people around us are desperate for that, for this living water. As we picture this harvesting good fruit, this story is our picture. But I realize many of us don't know how to go harvest good fruit. We don't know how to sure that the fields are are red cardinal red for the harvest but we, we don't know what to do and how to do and we believe that jesus is good news but we don't even know how to say that and so this year this is what we are about this year we are going to as a community learn to sow and here's what i mean by this sow like sow not like so might learn that too i don't know but we're going to learn to sow S being, we're going to, as a community, learn the story of God. I'm kind of surprised. Like, I grew up in the church, and this isn't everybody's story. But there's so much in here that we just don't know. Yeah. And so we're going to learn the story of God together. We're going to learn on Sundays. We're going to have small groups. We're, we're going to be a people who know how God has interacted with his people throughout history today all of this kind of stuff, we're going to be a people who know the story of God. And not just so that we have some knowledge, but we're going to be a people who know the story of God and a people where that story of God transforms our outlook on life, on each other, on what's going on around us. This last year I was shocked how like, quickly I could get depressed by just like opening an app on my phone. Whether it be Facebook or CNN or anything, like just news all over the place. And it's so easy to get discouraged and so easy to feel defeated or hopeless or fearful or any of those things. But how is it that the story of God is bigger than the stories that we tell ourselves or we are told? And how does the story of God transform our outlook, the way that we think, the way that we interact, and the way that we engage this life? This is what we're going to study this year. This is what we're going to learn together. We're going to learn the story of God, how it changes our outlook, and then how we bear witness to the people around us s-o-w the story of god our outlook and how we bear witness we're going to have some small groups available and some like saturday trainings where it's like okay let's get together for the morning and we're going to work on learning to tell our story to other people how do you practically do that some of us have never learned so it's a perfect time to do that. How do I bear witness to God's goodness in my life? How do I do that in the way that I just interact at work or at school? How, how do I do that in my neighborhood? What does this look like? Because I believe that as we sow, as we learn the story of God and how he transforms our outlook and how we bear witness to him, as we do that, we're going to see good fruit. This is not just about like numbers. This is the, This is about like what we're called to do. We are people who are called to be salt, to be light, to point people to the living water and say, hey, you never have to thirst again. This isn't just for me. So this year, this is what we're going to be about. The next couple weeks, we're going to unpack what so actually looks like. What, what, what's it going to look like to know the story of God? What's it going to look like to have that transform our outlook? What's it going to look like to bear witness? And we realize some of this stuff, we have baggage around it. Some of it we've had unique experiences in the past. We don't want to go back through that. But just because we've had unique experiences before doesn't mean that it's not good as God defines good. And so we're going we're gonna to journey through this. But as we begin it, uh, we're going to receive communion together. And like all, all together, uh, the ushers are going to pass out some communion here. It's a little different today. It's, it's little wafery things and, and, uh, and a cup, and they're going to pass it together. And as we, as we start out this journey, we're going to all receive it as one, as one body because that's who he's made us to be. And as they're, as they're passing this out, I want you to take just a couple seconds to reflect on what is it that God's inviting you into this year? What is it that you need to lay down? Where is it that you need this living water in your life, in your heart? Let's ask him to do a work in us. Keep passing them. Uh, you can keep your eyes open because I don't want you to like have juice spilled on you. But, but I want to pray for us as we go forward and then we're going to receive communion together, okay? Jesus, thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you're good, that you're faithful. Thank you that you call us to something. I pray that this week, or this this week, but this year that we can know you more, that we can be transformed by who you are, that that we can learn to bear witness to you, to, to our neighbors, to our friends, to the people who are walking by, that deep in the core of who we are, we would believe that you are good news, that people are hungry and thirsty for. This is your church. With open hands, we ask that you would move in our midst, that you would transform our hearts, that you would transform us as a, as a body, as a collection of, of believers and seekers and people who just stumble in, that, that you would do your thing in us. Would you remind us of who you are, remind us of who we are in light of The reality of you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Do we have. Thank you. Does everybody have communion? So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus was gathered together with his disciples. He took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And every time that you gather together, do this. Eat of this bread, remembering that this is my body, broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my blood shed for you. When you gather drink of this remember who i am and what i have done do this in remembrance of me jesus thank you you've made us one may we never thirst again